Jeff, thank you for for joining today. Um, particularly excited about this one because it's the first one ever that Chapter Two Talent Ed has done uh, live um, and in person uh, post COVID. It's nice to have a human being human being experience. Exactly. Um, we uh, we we uh, were founded in the pandemic and we've been doing these things on Zoom and hopefully this is going to be a more regular thing. Um, really excited to have you on board because um, you've got a very unique uh, set of skills and experience uh, that you're going to bring to this podcast because of your background at LinkedIn and where you are at Televest now. And as I've talked about before, this um, podcast is all about supporting and educating and having a bit of fun with people who are in our industry. Uh, it's a tough industry at the moment. And any insights, any stories that give people a little bit of a nudge in the right direction um, or just that can help them affiliate with what they're going through actually um, has been some really great feedback from our audience. So what I'd love to do is just, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me a bit about your time at LinkedIn and what you're doing and how you got to where you are today. I'd love to hear a bit about your story. Yeah. And thank you for, for having me on the show. And it's great to be here in London, uh, normally based out of Dublin, where I've lived for the last 12 years. Uh, my accent is from Toronto, in case anyone's wondering. Um, I should also point out that I've left LinkedIn. I think my final day was in October, so nothing I'm going to say today represents that organization. Um, and now have my own organization called Tallyvest. Um, but yeah, happy to talk about my time there. Yeah. It was a, an incredible journey. Uh, I had the opportunity to build out many teams around the world. Uh, I was employee number seven in Dublin. Wow. And they're now 1,700 to 2,000. And okay. so uh, really, really great memories. Um, but um, through that journey, I got to run some some big teams and hire a lot of people, make plenty of mistakes, uh, make a few good decisions as well. Uh, but after nearly a dozen years, it was time to move on and uh, join what is being called the Great Resignation. Yeah. Uh, it was funny, as we were talking about the Great Resignation and you're reading these articles and seeing these posts, I was like, that sounds like me. Yeah, this, yeah. this pandemic just turned my life upside down. My wife and I, we we left the city and moved to the country. And, uh, you know, when you strip your job down to just email and Zoom calls, yeah. it's a whole different animal. Like, it's still a great company, great products, great people. But I didn't realize how connected I was to the buzz of the office. Right, okay. And I had this emotional connection to the Dublin office because I felt like I built it myself. You literally did. Seventh employee, you, you built it, right? You're yeah, part of the well, fabric. Yeah, like, you know, I helped Sharon McCoy, the country manager in Ireland, like, you know, when she was looking at office locations. And I knew all the office managers and the security team and the caterers. And, Amazing. Um, and you kind of walk into that place, and it was a short walk from my house. And I was like, this, like, I'm never going to leave. Like, I remember being in that office, like, I'm going to be here until they have to remove me in my right. old age. Um, and then again, you strip the job down to like just laptop and Zoom calls. And you're like, is this really what I want to be doing for right. the amount of time that I'm doing every day? And and then some things changed around the job itself. And I was like, and then, you know, moving to the country, your cost of living is very low. And yep. you're like, what's really important to me right now? What do I really want to be doing? My kids are at an amazing age. How are your um, kids? So I just quit. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That, that reminds me of uh, more or less, more or less. Yeah, no, that's cool. <laughs> Just a really interesting point that you say. Like, literally, when you strip everything back uh, to Zoom calls and um, literally Zoom calls and Microsoft, yeah. right? Because you know that's what a lot of people do, or everyone's been doing recently. You know, we, we've got a similar scenario that you know we were 
founded in COVID, right? All of our employees were hired on Zoom calls and Zoom presentations. And I'm trying at chapter two to build a culture and a sort of a, a bit of magic between the teams. And it's really hard when you're not there in person. Um, so, so, how, so, so, so I'm interested to hear a little bit about the magic that made you stay for that long. So what was it? You know, you're there, you know, there from the very, very beginning. Um, is it is it the people? Is it the facilities? Is it the the, the career journey, the development? What what you know? What was what could you describe as like, you know, the magic there? Yeah, well, I think the people with a share connection to the purpose, right? And and this is why when when companies are communicating to their team and to the market what they do, it's really important that they're uh, very forthcoming and clear about what the purpose of the why does this company exist? Yeah. Uh, and then the employees then share that connection that by contributing to that purpose of that organization, they all have that in common. Yeah. Uh, the next thing is that just when you have an early stage tech company on an incredible trajectory, right? Like I joined before the IPO. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and actually, if Phil Watson's listening. I was interviewing Phil during the IPO. I stopped the interview to go watch you know, Jeff Weiner and the exec team ring the bell. And, wow. Um, and then you see that company go on to have an incredible successful run and be acquired by Microsoft. And that actually continued the success and journey. Um, so that's just exciting in itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It creates a lot of career opportunity for individuals to stretch themselves and take on a lot of assignments or projects and, uh, and also do quite well professionally. So um, there's a lot of excitement around that. And then you have the added fact that this is a tech company in Silicon Valley that's very competitive with the other big tech companies for uh, being a great place to work. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they're like, we're actually on the same street as Google. Right. Um, when, uh, or we used to be. There was a, an amazing uh, long story about real estate that uh, we had to swap with them and everything. But uh, we're competing for engineering talent with Google, and then Facebook popped up, and then you've got Apple just down the road. So, mm -hmm where all these like free foods and massages and perks like when you go to silicon valley and you actually look at it they're just it's these tech companies competing for the best engineering talent yeah in a in a, a small space i'm like farringdon but not as sexy right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i won't get, i won't get the london reference yeah but. So, so it, it, i think we're trying to build like old street farringdon kind of a region linkedin yeah. offices is i think farringdon next okay. market way and yeah. you got you know the googles and the facebook's going yeah. in there just like yeah, I think I prefer Silicon Valley personally. <laughs> so, so the battle for talent in Mountain View has spilled over to, to Dublin and London and Singapore and all okay. these other places. And so, you know, all the perks and benefits that we enjoy is kind of started there, right? And is tran transformed into you know free food and lots of perks and benefits, and trying to create an experience where you know, people really enjoy coming into work and and being there. Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, what was your first job? The first first job job like at like, that LinkedIn at LinkedIn the first my first job was to uh, hire the first sales development team okay uh, so BDRs yeah 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 so I, I started uh, with that that was the job I was doing at Salesforce in Dublin yeah okay um, and it's the job that I had done at Oracle way back when so yeah I saw in your profile yeah it's an area that I'm I'm quite familiar with so it was quite natural to come in there and do that for for them yeah uh, but I also like. The, the pressure of hiring the first seven in an office. Yeah. I remember um, thinking to myself, like, I was only 18 months living in Dublin, but I knew I wanted uh, diverse Irish talent. Okay. It was 2010. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, dibs wasn't just something we all were, were focused on. It's, but I knew that, like, Salesforce was very South Dublin. Yep. So at the very least, 
of these seven, I need one from at least one from North Dublin. I want some from the rural counties. So I got yeah. one from Donegal and obviously a couple from South Dublin so that we'd have different accents. Mm -hmm. And then we scaled across EMEA, so we started to hire, obviously, different nationalities as well. Yeah. Uh, but that's my favorite thing about working there was most meetings you go to, each person was from a different country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Different accent, different way of looking at everything. And we had 56 nationalities when I left. Wow. Uh, but from that first seven, um, that went well. We scaled that up, and then um, I made a pitch to my uh, my manager at the time that I could run the U.S. and the global team as well. There's some challenges around the world. From Dublin? From Dublin. Okay. My wife and I went over with our firstborn for six months in San Francisco uh, on that assignment. But before I knew, I had a team of 180. Wow. Uh, Everyone, uh, I was maybe awesome. 31 years old and I had 180 and a 22 managers reporting directly to me. I didn't even have time to add in the layer of management to manage the managers. Wow. And I was just literally flying around the world, um, setting up teams in. We took the Mountain View team, moved to San Francisco, New York, Chicago, Toronto, uh, with Bangalore, Sao Paulo, um, Singapore, Sydney. Uh, it was just amazing and great fun. I am. Um I can, I can, I'm trying to empathize with that, but you've blown the roof off my career, basically. I've heard I, your story is very similar, though. Yeah, you it is similar. a big global team. Yeah, we did, but not quite as big. As, I mean, I thought I was doing well until I met you. <laughs> I mean, that way. You, oh, listen, uh, it, it, a very fortunate situation. And just, like, I, I think sometimes people don't give enough credit to luck. Yeah, yeah, right? fair. Like, like, there's a million people who could have done exactly what I did. I just happen to be fortunate enough to be contacted by a recruiter but what's it so so but I, i've got this thing about luck yeah. right so so luck is one thing but f i find it funny the harder i work the luckier i get you know because you're there for those opportunities right so um you are you are present for the opportunities that come across you because you are present doing the work working hard and and people are aware of you so what does it take what are the sort of minerals it takes for somebody to come in you know at 31 years old have a 180 t member team and then grow a business to what it's become today what what are the main sort of i don't know um values uh, work ethic that you've had to sort of maintain because this is not yeah. a short run it's not a sprint is it yeah thank you um you know it's a good point and there there are ways to create luck all right, and like hard work creates luck. Uh, you know, accumulating knowledge, like a learning growth mindset where you're learning, furthering yourself with accreditations, like that will create luck yeah. for you, for sure, 100%. Um, but there's additional things where my luck comes from and, and the advice I, I, would, I would share would be uh, like creating moments of serendipity where um, how you treated people mm. in the past comes back to you really well. So. You know, what landed me in that very lucky, fortunate situation was um, you know, the, the story behind the story. Yeah. They were interviewing for this role and they were talking to someone who worked with me at Salesforce. And it was very clear that person wasn't a fit for the role. And that person told the hiring manager, you should talk to Jeff Matthews. But what's interesting is that that person, not a great friend of mine, uh, not someone I worked directly with, actually someone that I managed at Salesforce, that was his stakeholders. So yeah, he was okay. a salesperson and, and the BDR who reported to me would support him. And so what would have caused him, of all the people to put my name forward, is based on the impression that I gave him. So simple things like, number one, I give a shit. Like, 
when I show up to work, like I yeah. really want to do great work and I want to build great teams and yeah. do a good job. Yeah. Right. Number two, like I, I, I invest in my team, my people, right. Definitely. And like, I really care about them. So like whoever that person was working for me, was supporting him is telling him like, Jeff's a great manager. He's helping me and he really cares and yeah. you know, he's driven. And then number of like small things like the power of micro interactions. Yeah. Uh, that you have, and you'll have hundreds and thousands of them throughout the day, right? Those are what create the lucky opportunities when yeah. someone's like, you should talk to that person, and it opens those doors. The, almost like, is it the butterfly effect, that type of thing? You know, I don't know if that isn't even the right analogy. I told you how bad I am about analogies. <laughs> I'm trying hard. Please explain the butterfly. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I'm not going to do yeah. that because I can't. Oh, dear. Um, butterfly, it could be karma. Yeah. Um, but uh, I just think it's important that you just recognize that all those inner... And I always tell, like, when I give people career advice early in career yeah um something i coughed on to early is that your your big leaps in your career come from the people on your team not your manager yeah and so if you're putting on a facade for your manager your manager may or may not see through it yeah but the people who sit around you back when we used to work in an office uh, but the people on your team they're the ones who really matter yeah. they're the ones who are going to yeah. go on and say you know that's the person we should bring in here yeah and there's no fooling them yeah. And then even like after hours, you can go to the pub or, or whatever, you know, if you're not a good person there and you're not creating uh, a positive experience for your team members, yeah. they're not going to want to work with you again. They're not going to refer you. They're yeah. not going to recommend you. And so actually at one point I like, have every talent model you've ever seen. Uh, remember we were building this, the LinkedIn learning business in LinkedIn and we were scaling up very, very quickly. And, and, uh, and you know you do have a lot of like helpful talent models and ways of looking at team, but I, I I love simplicity and I boiled it down to really simple concept for everyone. I said, look, there's two types of people on this team: those who are making it better, and other people. Right. And everyone has to have an honest conversation with themselves which one they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And it's not about like your metrics and how you're performing. It's like, are you making the team better? Yeah. Like when you come into the office back when I used to do those sorts of things, like is the team like, yeah, you're there. Like when you go to the team meeting, is your team like, good, you know, that person showed up. When your manager has your one-to-one with you, are they like, oh, can't wait to talk to this person. It's been a great conversation. Yeah. yeah. But if your manager is dreading that one-to-one because you're just difficult person to uh, have a one-to-one with and the team's like, oh gosh, this, this person's talking again. This is not going to be good. The people around you don't want to be around you. Yeah. So then for the managers, your job is quite simple. You know, try to help the people who are not making it better find a place where they can make other places better. Yep. Um, and hire more people in to make it better. And yeah. Away we go. I think you're right. I think you're right. I, um, I, lo- I loved your point around, um, you know, looking after people and uh, creating that team ethos because, you know, when, when um, I was working internationally, I had this sort of theory that... Um, well, I've always gone by this, and I've taken this from Oliver into chapter two, and I said this to all of our employees, I say, if you look after us, i.e. do your job well, mm. we will look after you. That's as, simp- that's as simple as it gets, right? And bring yourself you know, into, your, into, your, into the job every day. Um, and uh, w- we found that we was, well, I was able to manage people who were 11,000 miles away just because of things like trust Simple stuff, right? Yeah. That, that that people actually overlook, but because someone feels autonomous and they, you trust them to do a good job, um, they 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 can they can do incredible things. And we had people build you know, build teams. I did, I've got this, an amazing um, 
I had this amazing employee um, in Jakarta. Her name was Miranda. Um, and she today still calls me her boss, right? You know, I'm like, I left two and a half years ago, Miranda. Like, we're mates. And one of the things that I've always prided myself on is, like, um, giving people careers is a massive motivation of mine. And it's funny that I do that as a business now, but actually as a job, giving people careers and, you know, giving them their own wealth creation and stuff and giving them what they want out of life. And because I think I did a good job at that at Oliver, now in chapter two, I'm looking to build out international companies. So I need to get to New York, open up New York, I need to get into Belgium. Um, I'm, I'm looking at South Africa. We've got a team of 25 people now in South Africa. Because I, in my last chapter, in chapter one, Oliver, I looked after people and gave people careers and, and trusted them. I'm, I've been able to just lean into this amazing network of people who where I could phone up somebody based in Johannesburg and say, hey, look, I need to set up an operation. I need a bank account. I need pay. I need payroll. I need an accountant. I need a lawyer. And all of a sudden they go, yeah, no worries. We got you yeah. because you've had them in the past, you know. Um, so I, I genuinely believe that there's this thing about um, looking after your teams um, and, um, and, and helping them thrive. So there's a couple of things I want to talk about. And we, we talk about loads of stuff now, but just to compartmentalize some of this. Um, LinkedIn, yes, a major part of, you know, um, the reason why we wanted to talk to you is obviously LinkedIn, but you are, let's boil this back a little bit. You have scaled up tech businesses, which is a lot of our clients do, right? So take LinkedIn branding out of it. What do you think it takes to you know, scale up a technology business? Because you've got so many different types of personalities, right? Uh, in a tech business, you have developers, you have your, your, your learning development people, you have your sales people. What does it look like in scaling up a technology business to you? And what learnings did you take from your time at LinkedIn in doing that? Yeah. yeah. And even now um, in the startup world, uh, scaling up. Or, um, so, so first and most important is prioritization. And, and when you're in growth mode, like you just listed a bunch of countries and, you know, the world's your oyster and you've got New York and you've got Belgium, you've got South Africa, but you can't do it all tomorrow. No. So you got to figure out which one do you do first, do you next? And so... Um, it's the same with every part of every job, which is, you know, what one thing is going to create the most business impact. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the things I love about living in Ireland, where you, you have these teams that operate across all of Europe, Middle East and Africa, and sometimes Latin America is that prioritization of markets and, you know, which, which countries. So are you going to go after Germany or are you going to go after France? Mm -hmm. you know, both are incredible markets. Both have unique opportunities. Both have unique challenges. Yeah, and you can't just go willy nilly into both of them. No. And so what mo what most multinationals do is they kind of come into the UK with the same model they had in the US, and for the most part, it works okay. You know, they just need to add some U's and change some Z's to S's or other way around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there you go, right? And so that's why like most of the multinationals are in the UK, um, but a lot of them just fall flat on their face when they get to Germany. Uh, or yeah. France, and and then they, you know, yet alone all the other countries across Europe, uh, Middle East, Middle East is a lot, lot more favorable to international business. Yes, yeah. Um, and so it all comes down to uh, at LinkedIn, we always had this two by two of size of opportunity over probability of success. Okay. Uh, so we'd we'd hire a lot of former consultants, and this is the way the consulting mind would work, which is like how big is the opportunity, and then what's the likelihood we're going to succeed. Right. So. You know, just look at Germany and France, right? Yep. The German economy is bigger, so it's potentially a bigger opportunity. Uh, but, you know, based on your products and services, would you be more likely to succeed in Germany or France? Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and so based on those two dynamics, you kind of place them in the two by two Excellent. and then figure out like actually our best opportunity is now, you know, this market. Yeah, sure. Versus something like Netherlands uh, might be a quick win where it's a small country and you've got to do a little localization, hire some local language support. And yeah. Where you go. So it's a smaller opportunity. Yeah. Um, but high probability success. So that's right, like kind of low hanging fruit. And how did you, you, so just to get a visualize yeah. of your team in Dublin, because obviously your team wasn't just Dublin, it was international yeah. team. So how did you, um, first of all, find, uh, engage on board and continue to motivate and keep the people working around you? Yeah, so I had luxury of a couple, couple luxuries that uh, I used to have. <laughs> I don't necessarily Yeah, have. yeah. Um, one is just being a great employer brand, Yeah. right? Like, you want to come work at LinkedIn? Yeah, it works, right. Know, there's a good response rate to that question. Uh, two, an amazing talent acquisition team. Okay. Um, and it was funny, when I was scaling up the last business, uh, I really saw the impact of recruiting. Uh, I had, uh, you know, you work with different recruiters over time, and depending on their bandwidth and their you know, level of interest in what you're doing, yeah. you get mixed results. Um, but this, the, 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 when I was building up the LinkedIn learning business, I got paired up with this amazing recruiter, Sinead, if you're listening, and she had this sorcerer, Greg, um, and, and the two of them just, like, every single person I met I could have hired. Uh, and, nice. and they just, they understood me, and they understood the business. Uh, more importantly, they understood the business, and they found people who were connected to the mission and the vision and the purpose. Yeah. Um, and so it was quite easy. Yeah, it wasn't a matter of like should I, shouldn't I. It's more of like a well, which one would would be the best addition to this really team right now? Amazing. Yeah. And so, and I'm curious. Is it Sinead and Greg? We're really good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Chapter two, our hiring. <laughs> um, we um, sorry, had to get that in there. Um, we um, when you went out to market, obviously. So LinkedIn has yeah. many, many um, benefits um, to businesses and. Um, one of the ones that, you know, tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people use this for recruitment and talent acquisition, but there's so many other benefits mm. to it. Um, did these guys just use LinkedIn? Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah of, but is it just LinkedIn or was it anything else? Did they? Yeah, it was just LinkedIn, yeah. Not, not that there's not other ways you could do hiring. Yeah. That was the way we would do, yeah. Because one of the things that I know about you is you've got quite a good personal brand. You had the Jeff Cast, and, and that was something that, I would imagine, and we're quite passionate about this, that actually attracted quite a lot of talent to you as a person, as, a, as the future manager, right? Because there's one thing a recruit saying, come work for LinkedIn. Okay, great. They, they know so much about LinkedIn, but they don't know the person they're going to work for. It's just behind this massive banner that is LinkedIn. And are they going to get on with this guy? Is he inspiring me? Are I going to learn from him? And one of the things I, I thought was amazing that you do is that, you know, you push out your own content and you have the, the Jeff cast that people get to know the person they're going to work with. And when we go to our clients, right, and we we say, right, okay, we're going to hand, handle your talent acquisition for you and with you, um, there are a number of different layers that, yes, there is putting somebody in, give them a LinkedIn recruiter license and saying, off you go. That, you may as well get a contractor in to do that, right? One of the things we believe is this whole ecosystem of talent acquisition consultancy, which is we will take a look at every touch point the candidate's going to take a look at. And one of the key areas that a lot of people neglect is you can have the most amazing career website and you can have a really good LinkedIn life section. But actually, what do your hiring managers look like on LinkedIn? 
because they're going to get looked at and they're the ones that are going to be, once you've done the deal and they've come over, they're the ones that are going to look at every single day. And um, I, I, I think there's a massive area of importance that needs to be identified, uh, which we're trying to do with our clients, which is when we take a Java developer to market, we will sit with the CTOs of that business and we will ask them if, you know, because it's their, it's, it, it is their real estate online unfortunately so they, the company can't dictate they change it but they can influence them to change it but we ask them to polish it up a little bit you know and improve it and um make it the shop window in in which people are going to look through to say okay i can work with that guy you know how i'm curious to ask how how deep did it go for you were you were you, were you even aware that you were doing this or was it just because you were passionate about it i guess yeah, so there's employer brand at the company level, but then there's employer brand at the hiring manager level and the department head. Uh, short answer, I'm very conscious of it. Okay. And that's why when you go to my LinkedIn profile, you'll see the jobs I do, uh, but you'll also see uh, some of the corporate social responsibility work that I do. Right, okay, um, amazing. Such as like, I've done many trips to developing countries, working with NGOs, uh, and, and work that I'm really passionate about there. Yeah. Uh, but I'm also... You know, an aspiring drummer. My wife and I have played different rock bands, and like, you know, so some people are going to connect with that. And so, what I'm trying to do there as a manager, try to relate to as broad a uh, group as possible. Uh, I've also done a lot of work in uh, diversity, inclusion, and belonging, uh, in particular uh, women. Okay. Uh, and this comes, it's not necessarily evident on the profile. You probably see some of it on the profile and some of the things that I post and share and talk about, or even the way I communicate on the platform. Um, but I just have a really strong track record of working with women, uh, you know, hiring, promoting, mentoring, sponsoring, uh, you know, uh, women returning from parental leave, going on parental leave, just being a very supportive partner. Yeah. Um, but this just all builds out to creating an incredible environment that people want to yeah. work for. Yeah. So that even someone said like, okay, sure, I'd love to go work for LinkedIn. It's a great company. Yeah. Right? Well, within there, where are you going to work? Yeah. It's like, well, who are you going to work for? Yeah. All right, and because there'll be little subcultures within the culture, yeah. And then I had the fortune of working for this like startups within the startup. So I was running the LinkedIn Learning business, which was through an acquisition a company we acquired, and later the Glint business through another acquisition. So I kind of had these little startups within the bigger wow. startup, yeah, yeah, within Microsoft. So like the, the small Russian doll and the big Russian doll, yeah. Um, and, and, and I was working for a, a global leader who was very good at culture. And, and so when we'd go to Las Vegas for the global kickoff and there's 6,000 people and our team is maybe 600 people, like we'd all be dressed in these like flashy gold outfits and we'd just be having great fun. Like, yeah. Like yeah, proper, yeah. good, wholesome fun. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, and the wholesome is an interesting, uh, word there. Like, I don't think we ever talk about this, but like, um, like if you're a nasty kind of like person partying on the dance floor and you're like chasing around your work, like you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like your brand as a hiring manager leader is like gone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know if you're fun and you treat people really well yeah. and 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 um, you know like all the people of different uh, genders, sexualities, races, religion can feel comfortable. Yeah that you're, you know, have their interests in heart and that you're, you can relate to them. Yeah. Um, I think as a, as a, someone who identifies as a straight white man, like we can get cast into a certain category of yeah. like pints and football. Yeah. Uh, whichever kind of football you like. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, 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 and so whatever I can do to like say, no, that's not me. Uh, Cause it, 
genuinely is not me. Yeah. I, I can hang out with those people for a little while, but I'm yeah. get pretty bored pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah. And so let's just broaden the spectrum and yeah. like all types of people. And then that's going to allow you to create an amazing team. And then they bring in more great people, more great people. And before you know it, you just got this amazing team around you and they're just having a great time doing great work. I think that's right. I mean, I've, I've um, again, typical white straight guy, right? So um, I could get cast in the same way. I know nothing about football and uh, can't hold a conversation at all uh, when it comes to football. Uh, but I think one of the things that I've found um, to help m me or us build chapter two as a you know diverse team is just to be really curious mm. about people's lives and worlds. And what better thinking you have in this massively diverse culture where like everybody's got different points of views that could challenge it add value who wants yes men because you're just going to get a one-dimensional business right you need this 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 like group of people who can contribute to this aligned vision as long as everybody's aligned to the same thing right they want to build that you know um the, you want to encourage and be curious and and uh, bring on board people who are going to come from a different perspective right and and, and add value to that um, yeah, I 100% agree with that. My last company, Oliver, have done a phenomenal job uh, in building uh, that business. Actually, they've done really, really well. Um, so let's let's talk a bit about um, a lot of the listeners are going to want to talk about what is the secret source of LinkedIn, right? And um, like, are, I guess the way to put it is, I read, I, I watched a, a Netflix doc documentary like about a year ago when we were all in lockdown and it said um it was something about i think it's about uh, social media and it was about gmail and stuff and it said if you are if you're not paying for it mm. you're considered a user mm. and you're the product mm. and social media platforms are the only um sort of uh corporation or body that call their um um, users, users, as well as drugs and alcohol <laughs> people, right? So it's like um, th this sort of um, what, what I'm trying to get at is is what is um, what does it look like from a social media point of view at LinkedIn, where uh, you've got these people that you you know are users, mm -hmm. but they are products. Then you've got these recruitment people and employer brands that pay for LinkedIn. How how do, how does it work? Like, do you prioritize? The, the people that pay for it do you how, how does it yeah. i don't want to peel back the curtain a little bit yeah and, and if you're just tuning in once again i no longer work for LinkedIn, no, that's but good. i'll give you my own external perspective now that, I, that I've, I've come and gone but it, uh of all the social platforms it is one where um the, the value transfer is the most transparent and obvious yeah. in that they don't need to monetize your personal data because there's so many ways to monetize uh the, the platform uh, for for companies such as yourself, like recruiters, right? Yeah. Um, and that's the best example, which is you know, people go on LinkedIn, they share their professional credentials, and you know, recruiters like yourself will pay to be able to contact them, yes, and advertise and influence them, yeah. and message them, etc. And so that obviously helps your business, it helps you help your clients, yeah. And then the individual, they don't mind getting the message and uh, from a recruiter. And I, I'll tell a funny story early on because. Uh, when like LinkedIn started off as a member only platform, a little bit of advertising for monetization, and then the first product line they launched was uh, a recruiting platform. Yeah, 
Uh, and it's very important to know that the number one value for the company is those members, the non-paying members, to answer yep. your question directly. Y- yeah. Um, and you get premium subscription. They pay a bit more to do a bit more. But ultimately, you know, the millions of people who use the platform on a daily basis to do their work is what's most important. Okay. And so there's a hypothesis early on, and, and I don't know if I'll get in trouble for sharing this, but that some of the recruitment agencies might be deteriorating the experience. Okay. And so we've got to be careful about selling too much to the recruitment agencies in particular. Uh, and I'm conscious that there's more agencies within two miles of this location yeah. than yeah, we're all of Europe right combined. So, yeah. um, and, and some of them might actually create a negative experience on the platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, however, you know, this is why it's important to use data to validate uh, assumptions. When you look at just the data, and it was very obvious, and some clever person figured this out, the response rate to in-mails and who's responding to messages. And what we saw was that members were just as likely, if not more likely, to respond to an in-mail that came from a recruiter than from an in-house recruiter in a company. More likely. More likely. From a recruiter. Yeah. Really? So if the hypothesis was that recruiters would create noise and deteriorate the experience, yeah. right, you would see lower response rates. Yeah. Uh, but if people are responding, that means the recruiter is actually doing their homework, looking at their profile and figuring yeah. out, you know what, this person, given the level they're at, how long they've been there, given the opportunity that I'm recruiting for, yeah, there's a good likelihood they're going to respond. Yeah. So that whatever that hypothesis, like, the hypothesis came from like anecdotal feedback of like people just saying, oh, I'm being harassed by recruiters on LinkedIn. Like, first of all, like, what an arrogant thing to say, right? Like, yeah. oh, you poor thing. Right? Yeah, I like, know, yeah. Just kick back and then finally you'll just take your dream job when it comes to yeah. you, right? Um, so the reality, all you have to do is look at the response rate. And then there's some tweaks to the platform over the years and some changes where, okay, and there's a, there's a really interesting change a few years ago where we'd reward responses. Okay. So before we were building, I think it was like you got, you, you'd have to pay if they responded. Okay. Well, that was an a, a inverse reaction what you want to have happen. And then recruiters were sending messages like, don't respond to this in-mail. Like, yeah, call okay. me or email me here. And not that you ever did that, but not, not. some people in your field did. So, no, that's not what we want. Like, we want people, like... Interacting. So, so, yeah. so that way you're, you're being very selective with who you're contacting. Because if people are getting relevant interests, relevant job targeted yeah. to them, it's great value to those members. Yes. And... and um Maybe you can help me. This is a personal thing to spell maybe a couple of myths. Dwell time. Like people, I've seen people try to really mess with dwell time. Like I saw one example and I thought this was quite clever, but you might think this is a. Sorry, dwell time? Dwell time, yeah. So how long someone dwells on a post. Okay. Right. So this, okay. So I heard that, that if, if someone dwells on a post on LinkedIn, and you might not know this, but this is just a curious question for me. Um, if someone dwells on a post for a period of time, LinkedIn recognizes that post as us people find this interesting and it gets pumped up the algorithms and they get rewarded because people find this interesting i don't i want to know if that's a myth or a real thing i just i don't know right the fact you never heard of it tells me it might be a myth it what does mean i'm like the uh the dark arts of um uh what is that like yeah, stuff social becoming media viral is, yeah, yeah, yeah. is um, I don't know. So I wasn't involved yeah, in that part yeah. of the business. My own hypothesis, though, for people who do want to see more interaction, um, is is that like first few seconds, what happens to your post? So, so my hypothesis, only my own my own guess on how they do it, would be um, the ratio of viewing to like and comments. Yeah. So if you put something up on the on the platform on any platform. And let's say 100 people see it and yeah. no one likes it, 
it's probably going to get buried. Yeah, yeah. Like, hundred yeah. people see and five people like it. Yeah. Versus hundred people see and ten people like it, or one person like. Yeah. So that would indicate to the algorithm. Yeah. And AI, if you're listening, um, that you know this is something that's interesting. So my own tricks are like I, I know where my followers are. I kind of have my European followers or like connections, my network, and then I have my California, US. So if I post early afternoon, um, and I think Wednesday is supposedly the best day to post, but okay. like Tuesday, Wednesday, um, and I get that first bump from the European crowd, and then the then the U.S. audience is getting out of bed. I've got people on the East Coast being from Toronto all the way to California. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you know they roll over, and the first thing they do is look at LinkedIn, obviously. Yeah. And then they start liking and posting comment, and that would give me the best. That's interesting. That's a good tip. That's a good tip. The 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 the, the the example I was going to give was the, on the dwell time. Have you ever heard of Where's Wally? Yeah, you know. So, so, so everyone's like gets this post like, oh, "Where's Wally?" So they're standing there dwelling on this post, trying to find Wally. And uh, obviously, they're thinking, "Oh, well, you know, people are dwelling on LinkedIn's going to push it up." So people are doing these things where, like, they interact with the thing for longer, things get pumped up. One of the tips that does work for us that we do, and I'll share this with with the audience of this is, we've got these um, WhatsApp groups for certain um, hiring teams. So we, we, you know, in in all of our in-house uh, agencies that we we build for our clients. Um, certain jobs will need a little bit more of a push um, uh, out on social. And we have um, certain people who've signed up to a, to an agreement that says, if uh, this post, LinkedIn post, gets dropped into a WhatsApp group, jump on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so so literally, I don't know, for example, uh, one of our team, Brad, as an example, might be you know working on Wayfair, and he would be you know sponsoring and wanting to get a bit of a pump on one of our hiring managers. Mm. He would drop this in the group, and the commitment is, if you're in this group, you have to <laughs> get on this. So you, so the hiring, I, I think the hiring manager, who are these people just like, they don't even recognize from chapter two, just like loving their post. But then... It, it does then boost it because the number of views and likes interactions goes straight up and it works quite well. That was one of the tips we used to, well, we still use now. Yeah, no, that works. And, um, there's other, there's certain, like, if you get certain people on the platform to like or comment on something, right. Then it really explodes. Right. Okay. Um, it was funny. I had my first uh, famous person. I, I'm, I'm very inactive on Twitter. Uh, the first kind of semi-famous person uh, liked something I put up on there, and all of a sudden I had like instead of having my usual like seven reactions, I had seventy. I was like, "Wow, whoa!" Um, so yeah, there's certain people on LinkedIn as well. So if you know influencers, yeah, is it is it does that exist? You know, is it is it a thing? Yeah, yeah. well they're there, right? Yeah. So if you you know, and they, they would have massive followings, uh, and so if you can get them to reshare your post or like or comment yeah. on it, uh, yeah, that kind of but. My two cents is like, like I spend a lot of time reading feeds. Um, there's some stuff out there that just like annoys me. Like, yeah, it's just like. Um, What's your biggest pet peeve? Oh gosh, um, I don't want to speak out of turn because like, there's some of the category like it's not like an entire category, right? Like there's you know people post kind of like uh, sentimental family moments. Yeah, I love some of them. Yeah, but some of them drive me nuts. So right. it's not a pet peeve of mine. Yeah. Um, but I can't not look at it. I would dwell on it for a while, right? Like, yeah. I'm like, do that person, are they really? And then why are they doing, I'm trying to figure out, like, why are they sharing this with us? And like, yeah. and I guess, oh, yeah. It's something like they're inspiring other, you know, people with families or going through similar issues. And yeah. so, like, this is cool. Like, I really dig this. Yeah. Um, but some of it, I'm like, are they just kind of, like, boasting? And, like, um, you just got to be kind of... you. It's hard to come across on the platform. It's humble, yeah, curious, interested. Um, 
But I, I like the human stuff. Uh, I, I, I did really well with a, a survey question a few months ago when the surveys first happened. But yeah, now it's like, well, yeah. there's so many surveys, so people kind of killed that one. Yeah. Some of the questions. Um, so I don't know. I don't think there's a real... I think just be human. Be authentic. You make, you make me laugh because your pet... I'm going to just call it... Your pet peeve is people putting, you know, like, you know, maybe family stuff on there or whatever, right? Which is fine. I, I've put family stuff on there and I, I love some of the family stuff on there. I love some of the family stuff on there. Like so just I, before yeah. this podcast, yeah. I did a family post. <laughs> so it's like, damn it. I know. It's, it's no. crazy. I, like, I have mental images of like, I saw someone post this really cool photo of their like home desk with the little baby next to it. Yeah. Okay. Loved it. Like, yeah. like I'm not, I'm not hating on that stuff at all. Like I love it. Um, just some of it can come across though a bit pretentious. Yeah. Okay. Got you. Um, but a lot of it comes across really kind of humbling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I can't really. There's this massive whole, um, thing, uh, when COVID hit, wasn't it? Where people were taking photos of their, their workstation. And I got bored of that, frankly. I was like, look yeah. at my work. I don't care. <laughs> I, I'll be honest. Like, yeah, I'll go like, I don't give a shit yeah. about your workstation like i think sorry i think i'm not gonna like it i think there's an opportunity probably on linkedin um to post kind of some failures yeah 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 right and like some people like post something positioned as a failure but it's not really a failure right um but like really just like these human moments where it's like i just i don't feel this is my desk i just don't feel like doing work today i didn't walk around behind people's desk going that's a lovely desk (laughs) in the real life yeah before coming that's a lovely desk I never did that. <laughs> did you look at my desk. No, yeah. so anyway, I, I know I know people probably did share you know their, their environments and stuff and and yeah you know, people share for different reasons. But yeah, that was that was one of mine. Yeah, well, and the one the, the the pet peeve with that, um, I think people lost touch with the fact that anyone who could earn a living from home through the pandemic is extremely fortunate. Yeah, and I don't think we've zoomed out far enough to appreciate that. That's true. Um, and and so like if you're posting like look i made this work at home with my work-life balance yeah well good for you what about the people like couldn't work because of government mandates and restrictions yeah exactly or their 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 industry was like wiped out electricians or whatever that's all sorts of different people and then like here you are like oh look i was able to like get my second screen ergonomically correct and so i can still like (laughs) be on my peloton yeah i've got yeah Wow. That wouldn't go. That, that wouldn't get a like. Definitely. Not. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Um, so let's let's take um, take a step back a second. So you've had this amazing uh, sort of you know tech career, tech oriented mm. career. Um, um, it was you know Salesforce, LinkedIn, and now you're on to Talavest. Mm. Tell us a little bit about Talavest. Yeah. So it's a, an Irish startup, female founded. Um, Jane Ronane, who actually today is um, becoming a mother for the first time. Oh, amazing! Uh, and uh, and and her partner uh, Laura Bellier, and it's a HR tech engagement platform. Okay, uh, looks at the employee experience from candidate before they join the company yep. to after they've left, they become corporate alumni, um, and you can stay engaged with people after they've left. You're seeing for things like boomerang hires or other yeah, okay. uh, promotion. Uh, and so I, I've been following Jane for a while and um, spent lots of time with her and, and have invested in the company and have advising from the wings, like living um, uh, uh, kind of living through her journey uh, with the startup while I'm working for a big company. And then the stars aligned with her going on parental leave uh, and me exiting LinkedIn uh, that I come in. Uh, I offered to come in as interim CEO. Yeah. Um, but as we looked at the stage of the company and what was going on and met with some of the investors, like, no, just 
go and go at it. And so, uh, it's a great time to be joining, um, mm -hmm. as we're scaling up and they've got an amazing platform products where we're competing head to head with these multi-billion dollar, uh, valuations. And it's like this little engine that could from Ireland is just going to blow them all out of the amazing. water. And it's, uh, yeah, it's really exciting, and, and I'm really fortunate for the opportunity uh, to do it. So, so, so let's get a bit more detail yeah. on the functionality. So, um, so it, it maps people from from coming into the business all the way through to leaving, then alumni. So, so how as a candidate, how would I interact with it? Yeah. How does it work? So, so, the most simplest way is just a survey platform. Okay, right. So, uh, companies are uh, trying to better understand their employees and. Uh, what they're going through right now, why they're leaving the company, okay. uh, what's inspiring them to do their best work, uh, you know, how this work from home, flex working in the office, what's going on there. And, and they're seeing a lot of changes with their talent. So you're seeing in general, like companies asking their employees for feedback has been on the rise throughout the last right. couple of years. Okay. Um, and that's where uh, Talibest really started to pivot to that strategy from the corporate alumni strategy of helping companies engage with people who've left. Yep. Uh, so the short answer is a survey. Uh, so the candidate experience, understanding um, uh, that and the feedback from there to their onboarding um, and to while they're there, things like pulse, energy, stay surveys. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then when they're they're leaving, uh, running a proper exit process, okay. exit surveys, and then even after they've gone, uh, re-engaging with the alumni network as well. We Is it similar to, we used to use something Called Pecon, yeah. Uh, so something similar, yeah. But I think it takes it one step further, right? Because that, the, the you, one thing that you really land on is the boomerang effect of this creating this alumni. That's a real USP, right? So um, just because somebody left your business doesn't mean you know they hate you. It means that they want to move on to the next chapter, but that doesn't mean they can't come back. How does how does this the system? How how does the alumni work? How does it keep in touch with? Uh, the candidates because I can understand from a, a business would buy into this it'll be a survey thing mm. to test the temperature in various different uh, stages of the candidate or employee life cycle get that and then someone leaves so does it continue to, to they get their personal email address and how, how, does it, how does it work yeah so in the offboarding process you would get the personal email address right uh, some clients would have a landing page to join the the community the portal yeah um and then we we literally build a community for the alumni to log in and interact with Amazing. uh each other uh access special promotions so things like like you know i'm linkedin alumni yeah i, I could refer people to work there yeah it's a great place to work you know uh, and so i could refer people and they would probably offer me uh, a gift card for doing such things yeah uh i'm salesforce alumni you know i, I haven't heard from mark benioff in, in quite some time but he could invite me to Dreamforce. Yeah, I yeah. Could buy yeah. like an early bird pass, or like you know when they're not launching their next cloud, uh, you know I could he could send me like sneak peek on yeah, this. I yeah, could, I can give him product feedback. Yeah, yeah. You know I can now become a customer. That's interesting. Uh, it's something that now that people are seeing more and more attrition. Yeah. Um, I've always been pushing companies to think more thoughtfully on uh, people leaving. Yeah. It's something that uh, I think a lot of business owners and, and leaders don't. They don't address. No. They just look at the vacancy and what, how can they fill that seat, right? Yeah. Well, they look at the empty role yeah. and what they need that person to do and the work that needs to get done today. Yeah. Um, I remember years ago, I was talking to a, uh, a room full of Irish CEOs and uh, I, my opening, uh, which uh, was provocative, but it was, all of your employees are going to leave. 
Every single one of your yeah. employees is going to leave. We know it. I have the data on the LinkedIn platform. We know they're going to leave. And they're like, well, we don't want them to leave. Well, make them stay. And I was like, well, yes, there's things you can do so they stay longer. And yeah. Because they're like, we, one of the things we also measure at Tallyvest is time to productivity. Yeah. And then how long those employees are productive for doing those roles. And yeah. These are the analytics that we, we can run with our clients. And so you do want them in that sweet spot doing the best work of their career for as long as possible. Yeah. Um, but if you actually, and even you, you're building a business right now, challenge yourself to build your business around the concept that they're all going to leave. Yeah. What would you do differently? That's a really interesting question. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, li I live in this world, and the team will empathize with this. I live in this world of uh, what I call positive paranoia. Um, and so I think, um, like, try to think positively about every negative event that could happen so it doesn't happen. Or if it does happen, I'm prepared for it. I haven't thought about that one yet. So you now now you've created a new one for me. <laughs> well, well the, the reason you haven't thought about it, if I had to guess and predict, is that you're 18 months into it. Yeah. And you're opening offices around the world. Like, people aren't just going to leave right now, right? Like, yeah. You know, the, the wave is just getting going. Yeah. Right? Like, it's the same when we were building at LinkedIn, right? People, you don't leave when you're in that hyper growth trajectory, uh, unless it's something really bizarre and unique, right? Yeah, of course. Um, but there will become a time where, you know, uh, you might actually end up being really successful and the next big staffing company and people are going to leave. And so if you were, to, and this would just be on the spot feedback, to build your business around understanding uh, what types of exits there are. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so you got people who are going to leave to start their own company. Mm-hmm. Right, just as you yeah, exactly. over, start your own yep. company, right? So you have people on that career trajectory. What sort of opportunities and training and can you provide them, or even financial support, or even support, right? Like there's a good opportunity there yep. to become frenemies. Uh, you know, people to lead to become in-house recruiters. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe they've, you know, they're, they're building their own desk to the agencies. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they like the idea of being the Google recruiter and yeah, or being full time within uh, a client. You can help on that trajectory. Uh, you know, people who just maybe want to pivot into something completely left field, yeah, completely unrelated, yeah. get out of the recruitment game altogether. Yeah. Um, and then there's probably other things to consider as well. And then when you're interviewing and you're hiring them, you're thinking, well, okay, we're really excited for you to come help us build chapter two of the vision. You're going to leave. We want to start working on your exit strategy now. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> I've never heard of that before. That's really, really cool. No one ever thinks of it. It, no. is, it baffles me that like, Everyone leaves your company, but you don't actually... Because people, it's almost taboo. People don't want to talk about it. They yeah. don't want to plant the idea in someone's head that you're going to leave. <laughs> they want almost want to like distract you until you realize yourself that you're going to leave. I don't know. Uh, it's like a prenup for a wedding. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't have one because I'm never going to leave. No, and, that's true. Oh, neither is she, so we're... We're good. We don't, we don't need any of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true, that's true. Yeah. That's really interesting. And uh, so so Talivest is your next chapter, basically. Yeah. Um, and, and how's it going? Tell me a bit about it. How's it yeah, going? It's cool. So they had a really good year last year uh, with their customers. Uh, all the customers renewed and, and, and grew. Yeah. Um, so 100% retention and growth. Uh, the customers gave uh, 83 NPS the last time that's, we asked for feedback. Um, and so the value we're providing for those customers and understanding what's going on in their business is uh, is going really well. Yeah. Um, you know, the the next focus now is getting more customers. Yeah. Uh, which is really fun for me, having a you know twenty years in tech sales. Yeah. To do it uh, with a startup. Yeah. Uh, is is exciting. Um, What's going to be your biggest learning curve coming into a startup from this amazing monster you've just left? 
oh gosh, everything. I, I love it. Like the learning is the right word. Um, and, and the part where I, I feel a little stuck in the, uh, the headlights is t- to do stuff. Yeah. Like I actually, y- 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 like having worked in a company where we, you're surrounded by brilliant people yeah. and like the best of everything. Right. So, um, and when you're leading a big team within a big company, you're actually not allowed to do anything. Yeah. Right. Like you can't just come in one day and be like, eh, I'm going to you know mess around with pricing. Like, yeah. I don't think our pricing's right. I'm just going to like update this. Right. Yeah. Or like. Eh, I don't really like our logo. Maybe we should like change yeah, the lowercase i don't Yeah, yeah. But but in a, an eleven person company, like it's just like I think we should do this, and it's like, okay, well then just do it. Yeah. And it's really like you're actually doing yeah. stuff. Yeah. Even like um, our CRM is is obviously a mess, as every company's is. And so I'm like, okay, well, there's some stuff I want to do in the CRM. What do we do? And it's like, oh, we go on Upwork, and we have this admin, and you know, so I have this call with a guy, and and. You know, all of a sudden he's like sharing screen and I'm like building out this new thing in our CRM system. And and he's like, uh, uh, and so, so how do we, how does this work? He's like, well, I'm, I'm charging you right now on Upwork. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, this is good. Like you just like, you're actually doing work. You can get stuff done much quicker, can't you? Yeah, yeah. But you got to be like, coming back to prioritization. You got to be getting the right stuff done. Yeah. So uh, what a lot of what I'm doing with the team is really just trying to get, you know, even though we're only... A small team if everyone's working on the same thing yeah we're gonna crush it yeah but if you know engineering's building this and marketing's building that and you know and our customers are asking for something else we're never gonna get anywhere yeah it's like a dragon boat with everyone paddling in a different direction like we, we've all just got to be focused on this is what we're gonna do this is how we're gonna create value and, and, and this is how we're gonna execute one of the things I find, and I think you just articulated it really well with the example, is uh, when you're a startup or even a small to medium-sized business, you can uh, have a meeting in the morning and have it done by the afternoon. Yeah. You know, the bigger a company gets, especially you have to, you have a meeting in the morning, it's an idea. You'll be six months before you see that thing sometimes. And obviously there is the exception to the idea, but like sometimes, that was a dramatic example, but I love the fact that I can take a phone call, you know, Sophie or Brad or the team, and they say, want to do this? I'm like, yeah, go do it. It's done, and then you just crack on. You know, that's what I love about the startups. We uh, we hired, but then again, when getting used to the new world, I got a great story. When we uh, when we were setting up the, the last business, Oliver, we had this uh, lady working for us. She was um, she was from the, one of the big corporates, and we were early days, Oliver. Right, we were in a basement uh, with desks made out of MDF and put together with nails, and uh, that we hammered in, and. Um, she, she she came out to one, my desk one day and she goes, oh, I need to put this in the post. Where do I put it? I went, you put a stamp on it and you walk up to that red pillar box <laughs> up the road and you put it in the post. <laughs> and she's like, oh, right. I thought, don't do this. is not a post tray or a post. I'm like, no, no. You go, you put, you put a stamp on it, you walk out the road. <laughs> it's just like, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. You're from a big business. We both get it. Just it's a different, it's a different pace, different environment. Oh, I, I know there's, <laughs> if if any of my former teams listening to this right now, they're laugh, like laughing, bitching because I, I had this sales ops partner, Samir, and he's absolute genius right and like and he's you know building up that business where i'm like i did all this like no like samir and and then we've got this biz ops team and charlene and she's just absolute genius and so like i'm talking about like we prioritize the markets and here's how we do it's like well really they like we're like the 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 work of the work and then they had teams working for them that would also do the work of the work um 
And it's a big infrastructure around them. Yeah, and so yeah, it's uh, it, it's very different when you don't have any of those people at all. No, you got to just got to. Uh, I, I I call it the JFDI. Just fucking do it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just that's what you got to do. do. It, just yeah. JFDI. And, and the other thing, like with the gig economy, that uh, yeah, I've obviously heard about it and read about it, but now I like live on it, right? Like you know, I I got an email the other day from a a company, and uh, and they make those little videos of explaining what you do. Yep. Uh, and I responded to me like, yep, uh, can I get that in a week? <laughs> no, I responded like, how much does that cost? I got this much. Great. Let's do it. And then, uh, they're like, okay, well, we'll have a meeting and we'll, we'll write the script. Like, no, no, I'll just write the script. So I had a meeting with them yesterday and I was like, great. Um, how's it work? Like we pay 50% now, 50% is done. Like, great. Well, we'll transfer that now. Like just do it. And it's done. Yeah. But like the gig economy, like I don't have time to figure out like, well, maybe we can do that. Or maybe I should meet with the two other vendors. Like they've got a great rating on G2. Yeah. I've seen their work. Yeah. We need this. It's going to help us explain what we do. Yeah, definitely. Um, the gig economy has really, really taken off. I think there's two reasons for that because people just want to get stuff done quicker, mm. um, and a lot of people have gone freelance. And um, what what companies also realised through the pandemic, they've cut their cost base significantly. And as we're coming back up, they don't want to create this fixed inelastic cost base so much. So they lean into the gig economy to get stuff done a little bit quicker. So, yes, you you could hire your own person to do this, but do you need them full time? You're not sure. So you just mm. go to Upwork and do it. There are a lot of platforms out there that give people access to this sort of stuff. And I think I think one of the next, I don't know, maybe LinkedIn will come up with this or maybe another company. Well, there's been a few of them that where you can have super niched uh, type um, platforms that mm. that you can you know I people can lean into and just go and get their resource, pay an afternoon of work instead of committing to them on salary, get it done, and then they move on to their next client. It's just super easy, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 really great to help scale a company, and and then it's also too that the opportunity cost if you have someone working on something that's not really like they're not the best at it and yep. there's better things that they could be doing with their time. So yeah, yeah like, it, it really helps. That's cool. Um, well, so Jeff, thank you for your time. Um, I, I genuinely want to say it's been a privilege to have you on. It's it, honestly like someone of your expertise, scaling up tech businesses from a business like LinkedIn, going to do what you're doing today. Like I wish you every success with Talivest. Um, I think it's a great product and we are going to look to introduce you to some of our clients as well, because I think really, really awesome product. Um, uh, if any of the listeners would like to get in touch directly to know a bit more about Televis, I'm sure that they can reach out to you on LinkedIn. We'll tag you in our posts. But yeah, I just want to say for me, it's been great to see somebody in person for one of our, our podcasts. Uh, thank you for your time. And uh, also, thank you for this bottle of whiskey that you bought me. I think we should uh, look to open that this evening. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's where I'm from in Wicklow, uh, yeah. Glen Glendalock. Uh, the, uh, the, the owner or the creator of that whiskey is, is my neighbor. And uh, yeah, he's uh, it's he, he does a good job. They actually you can get that in all the duty free shops and the the LCBO for those in Ontario. Uh, a little Irish, yeah. It's um, can't wait to get into that. But no, it's been great being on the show, and I'm uh, I'm I'm grateful for you to introduce me to some of your clients because I think there's a, a real opportunity to have this conversation. Um, you know, with these recruitment agencies that we've been talking about, like when they hear about their clients losing uh, employees. You know, a lot of them would rub their hands together and say, well, how many uh, do we need to go hire, right? But uh, I think the way you, your approach, and I look at your website, and it's talent solutions. So, like, let's have a more robust discussion together. Yeah. Use the technology platform of TalentVest to understand why are people leaving, and then also 
the candidate journey to the onboarding journey. And so I'm really looking forward to working with your team on on having some of those conversations in the next couple of days. So Yeah, no, we'll do some exciting stuff. Thank you. Oh, my cool. pleasure. Thank you very much. Excellent. Uh, I think we're all good. We'll wrap it.